three, two, one, and we are live recording. Don't need to do that countdown, but I've heard other podcasts do it, so I, might I just thought we'd count it. ourselves in. I might cut it out. You can do that. Um, welcome uh, to podcast number two with I am Stephen Hussey. With I am Stephen Hussey. With I am Stephen Hussey, I'm professional, and Mr. George Taylor is to my left. And I thought we would do another, we're going to do another bit of a meandering podcast today, but we have decided between us that the future format of these podcasts that we think will work is we're just going to take a single topic. Oh, are you going to tell them what the format's going to be? You think I shouldn't say? Hold it. Hold something back. Hold it for next time. Just tell them there will be a format. There will be a format. But we're not going to tell you what the format and is. And what we've decided right now is we're not going to tell you that format yet. But it's going to Imagine be... if it changed over the next few days. Yeah, that would be embarrassing, would wouldn't it? Um, that would look. So we're going to keep this one quite meandering. We're just going to chat. We've turned on the microphone again and we thought we'd have a chat about things that are going on um, and see how it goes. So I think we should introduce ourselves a little better, George, because I listened back to the last one and I thought... Who People is that don't guy? really know who the hell we are, what we're doing. I think you're doing a bit better with the recognition than I am, probably. Right. Well, I tweeted it on my um, illustrious Twitter account that has 7,500-something followers. Um, not all active, I imagine. <laughs> some of them bots, bots. I imagine. I haven't sure. paid for any, but no. I can imagine some have drifted away, quit Twitter, <laughs> tweeted once, never looked again. Yeah. Um, but I keep sort of accruing people. I don't people. follow you. Let's put it that right, way. You, don't fo- you don't... Yeah, no, it's good. So... Um, yeah, but I've accrued people because uh, I'll say what I do is I work for a company called How to Get the Guy uh, with my brother Matthew Hussey. It's a company that he started about 10 years ago and uh, he does dating advice. He has a very big YouTube channel for women. Uh, I think we're going to lay claim to being the biggest dating channel for women on YouTube. And um, he gives seminars. I give seminars in London. And uh, we do these retreats together twice a year. So our company does sort of personal development, dating advice, that sort of thing. And I spend most of my time writing for the company. Do you have a job title? Uh, I'm director of content. Although I, uh, yeah, I mean, I do freelance stuff as well. So I kind of, um, you know, do a few different things. But um, yeah, that's uh, in the company. Uh, I write a lot of articles for the site. Um, I do blog posts, uh, things like that. And so I guess a lot of people have followed me on Twitter through my writing for the company. Mm. Um, and you write so, a blog for Matt, don't you? Yeah, I write a blog regularly on the site and uh, do some... I've popped up on a few YouTube videos, um, some of them with quite healthy view counts. Um, uh, so I've popped up occasionally. So the people who have trickled in on my Twitter probably know me from there. And... Uh, I also have a PhD. I do some lots of what's your kind PhD of, in? My PhD is in political philosophy, so a lot of applications, <laughs> frothy stuff. A lot of career applications there. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and apart from that, I like to write a bit of fiction in my spare time and and write like articles and things like that. So that's my background. Just and, to uh, pad, yeah. pad the picture out as well. Where do you live? And how does your average day get padded out at the moment? Just wow. to set the scene. Um, it's like Charlie Rose before all the bad stuff. <laughs> the bad stuff. Um, so I uh, I spend my day... I was living in London with the man right next to me uh, for about three years. 
and we were part of the digital nomad community, uh, ever-growing. <laughs> Very isolated um, community. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of three of us. Anyone we've lived with seems to be in that boat as well. So we've all sort of always been in a flat, sort of working at kitchen tables and yeah. sitting around. I'll come down, make George a cup of tea. We'll have a biscuit together. It's sort of a very domestic, homely sort of setting. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, sorry, what was the other question? What do I do in my days? No. Uh, oh, and now no, I now move to look now. So right. I guess to pad out would be that we were living together up until the end of se- end of September, start of September. And yeah. We've both kind of drifted. Back we were home. living together for three years and never once thought to start a <laughs> podcast. And then when we, we moved were a room out, apart. when we stopped living together, we came up with a brilliant idea of we should do a podcast together. That half an hour drive to get there. Yeah. Because people have got to hear this. Hear this gold that's coming out. Um, so, uh, yeah, we decided to do one. I now moved home to Essex to my... Uh, Essex is a lovely county in the east of England for you Americans and other countries out there. Um, and we both moved home because me and George both went to school together. And uh, now George sort of, you know, we sort of pop around each other's houses. Like, it's been very one way so far, hasn't it? It's been very one way. I've just got insured on a car so I can now drive again. Um I wasn't banned. I just uh, didn't have a car for about seven years. Um, so yeah, that's that's me now. And now I'm sort of living this strange life where I'm not sure. I'm sure of what my work and stuff is, but I'm sort of not really sure if I'm going to be sort of mooching around the world quite a bit for next year. I don't want to quite get a place in London yet, so I'm kind of. I'm open to suggestions. Send in your ideas where I should travel. I want to go to Asia. Like he will go, follow through. Like with to go one to of the Europe, South America, and uh, spend a bit more time in America. So, yeah, I'm, I I kind of want my twenty nineteen to be quite open, and uh, hopefully wherever George is, we'll be able to check in on these, have a chat, Perfect. see what's going on. And so that's enough about me. But it certainly is. Yeah. George, um, George, why don't you tell tell about yourself? What what's your story? Great question. Um, so. I, I guess, yeah. The digital nomad thing is very much me. I've never used that term myself. No. <laughs> I, work, I work from home is is the gist of it. But uh, I uh, work with a, a guy I was at uni with, that Steve was at uni with as well, and we run a language school for Brazilians learning English. I essentially do the marketing side of things and some systems and operations stuff. So our company, I, I suppose, is in some ways a bit like your brother's, but 10 years behind and working to grow in that direction. So we're doing all the setup and trying to get things up and running, but it's it's a great gig because I can work from my laptop. Uh, I also do a lot of freelance editing work, mainly with Chinese clients, but um, all sorts, whatever comes my way, really. And I have a bit of a background doing radio. I've done a little bit of professional radio, though you won't be able to tell sure. from, from this. Um, I've done a lot of unprofessional university radio, so mm. similar boats. Yeah, very similar, yeah. I've done bad professional radio and fairly good unprofessional radio. And I, I said you're hired when he uh, when he gave me that CV. I said, <laughs> you're the man. I mean, yeah. Um, my background is not as academically creditable as Steve's, but I have three English degrees, so equally as unemployable. It's more English degrees than I have. Yeah, it certainly is. Um Three's enough, isn't it? I'd say. He's sort of flogging a dead horse after a while. Um, but my my uh, 2019, yeah, next year, 2019, is similar to yours in the sense that 
want to make the most of that freedom. I think we found that we lived in London for three years. We we do have the luxury of kind of being where we want and doing what we want, but we're sort of tied to one place just for having a flat, right? So uh, my fiance now, my fiance is in Oxford finishing up her PhD. Congratulations. Thanks very much. And um, we are going to be moving to Copenhagen next year for about six or eight months, something like that. I'm really looking forward to the chance to... Yeah, take my work wherever I go, and that'll be a really great opportunity. Uh, she's Danish, so it works perfectly. And um, yeah, having the flexibility to do what we do from wherever we are is an appealing thing. Um, but yeah, beyond that, we've we've you're, been at school together since we were six. Yeah, I just realised then you're marrying a Dane. You have a language school for Brazilians, and you do work for Chinese people editing. You're a true man of international. I only speak English. <laughs> you only speak English. <laughs> Out of and principle. You seem to never work with English people. No, that's um, true, actually. So yeah, you're you're my first. <laughs> um, yeah. So sorry. Yeah, we have known each other since we we're about. We went to school together since we were about six years old, but weren't properly friends till we were about seventeen, eighteen. Yeah. Which is kind of strange. Um, yeah. I sort of knew of George my entire school life. Um, sort of had little moments together in little classes, but never really proper friends. And then we went on a lovely ski trip. George was arranging a ski trip and someone sort of said, uh, I think one of our mutual friends, Jim, said, why don't you call up Steve and ask if he wants to come? And I got a phone call from you. Um, (laughs) Who's this? Sort of, yeah. And he sort of said, oh, do you want to come on a ski trip? Uh, Jim said 12 years later. That was it. Yeah. Um, I think we formed a friendship entirely on... Quoting The Office, probably. Most um, of my friendships are yeah. based on that. Um, and here we are now. Yeah, it's been a ride. We were at university together for a couple of years. We were at, uh, and we lived together for three, so I feel like we've, we've paid our dues. Yeah, we? we've got history. Um, and today we went for a lovely brunch. So that was our little day, little it's, day together. It's been it? nice. I actually slept over, didn't I, as well, last night? Yeah, George in- invited himself over because my, <laughs> my parents had gone away, so I got a free house, and uh, he immediately said, I'll come and I'll stay and we'll do some stuff together. Um, so yeah, I got them all tucked up in bed, his slippers, mm. and he's happy. Um, so George, you're still doing... We talked the other time about how you read currently 100 books a year, which I think some people would find staggering. Yeah. That you, you know, I think people would look at that and, you know, it seems outrageous, right? I guess. I guess it is a lot higher than the average, right? Yeah. Um, you're, we'll say you're not a professional book reviewer no, or in I, publishing. I feel like I should get on that Booker Prize gig. Yeah. You need some way of sort of doubling cashing, up on that work, so making it, it work for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but George uh, makes himself a quest to read 100 a year, which I think he might be abandoning soon because it has the cost of. George has been thumbing around my bookshelf today looking for particularly <laughs> short books because as he gets to the end of the year he sort of is on 90 something and has to cram them in yeah. so he's looking for the shortest book he can find so I think everything he's read for the last few months has been very slim it has been slim uh, so it's... scrabbling around and I've done it for up. the last I think this is the fifth year of doing it it's more it's a target and then as you get close you feel like it would be a waste to let it slip right. it's a completely arbitrary number obviously Yeah. but when you've read you know 75 and there's 3 or 4 months left you think I might as well go through with it because yeah. it's it's quite an amazing thing to say I suppose yeah. um, and it is really nice to look back and it's, it's a way of placing where you've been and what you've done but uh, yeah, it 
it does limit you because you think I can't read this 500 page novel so after this year from now on I, I will still strive to read a lot but I'm not going to force myself to follow through can I interest you in some uh, video game instruction booklets <laughs> I think that might, might Zelda Breath of the Wild instruction manual that's probably quite weighty <laughs> So like te- Tetris manual that did the job. Um, um, so he's 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 rooted around my shelf and he's found a book called Shoplifting from American pa- Apparel by uh, Mr. Tao Lin, who's a young American writer. So uh, ninety nine yeah, pages. Ninety nine. Yeah, it's technically a sort of novella. That still thing. counts. Still counts. Short story doesn't count, but novellas count. Um, so yeah, let's talk about next year, George. So we're gonna be. We're gonna be. I'm sort of. I'm sort of on open road right now. I'm. Mm. I keep. People keep asking me what I'm. What I'm doing, and I feel more set than ever in my sort of career and what sort of my priorities are there. But I do feel like I don't know where I want to be quite at the moment. Like I'm quite happy here, and I've come home, and there's all these home comforts that I haven't had for years, and I'm getting things cooked for me. It's mm. really nice, and I do sort of feel like. Oh, I could really just sink into this for Can't a good while. It. Yeah, it's like I know it will eventually sort of probably wear thin, and I'll be like, I'm not going to meet anyone. Here. Even if it doesn't wear thin for you, I don't think your mum and dad will put up with it. Oh no, I think actually they're quite happy. Oh, they're really? quite enjoying having me back. Yeah, my mum's sort of like, oh, you can stay forever. She's very much that sort of mum. Where... Because your brothers moved abroad, right? It sort of bought you a bit of favour. Yeah, Matt's in America. My younger brothers just moved to London, so she sort of lost him. So I've come back, and she's very happy about that. So at the moment, they're under absolutely no pressure. <laughs> if anything, they want to keep me. Mm. And you know, you know, at some point, like. This is going to work at some point. There's going to be no rent. It's going to be very nice. And then you start to get sort of itchy feet and sort mm-hmm. of think, probably want to do something else now. But um, I don't know when that's going to come. But I'm kind of looking where I should travel to next year. You're planning a, a year of travelling. Yeah, I feel like, you know, and we might talk about this in a future episode, but I feel like I'm of an age where you get to this crucial window in your life, right? And I think when I was younger, I never really, it never, I I always loved traveling and definitely able to go on a lot of trips, but I never had the bug. You know, people at like 19 are ready to go and live in Australia for a year. That never was at the time appealing to me at all. I wanted to get my education done. I didn't feel like I wanted to waste time, which I kind of associated like I'm delaying finishing my education to do this. It was just not appealing to me and I didn't really want to leave everything at the time. And it sort of more got to the stage now from late 20, I guess, early 30s where I've kind of had that feeling like I want to trial a different kind of life in a way while I can. Like you want to... I think what a lot of people do when they do these long trips is they're they're doing a trial run of an alternative life they Mm. could live. Like maybe it's being a beach bum in Australia. Maybe it's... um, you know, going somewhere really rural or maybe it's going to live in a big city and people go live in, you know, wherever they go to Asia or South America or something. And I feel like, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's some alternative life I want to get a window into. But I think part of me knows that it's not, I don't know. I don't, I I feel like I'm open-minded on it, but I feel like I don't see myself as just, 
one of these people who would just swan off and not have roots back here mm-hmm. in the UK. Like it always feels like London-ish around there is my home. Um, but I don't know. Is that closed of me? Do you think you no, should think be sort of... Your family is a, obviously a big part of your life. You have quite a good family group that socialise and do lots of things together. So that must make it a lot easier to define... Yeah. Or having a place that has a lot of pull for you. Like we were joking earlier and you said you could never see yourself spending Christmas away from Essex. Right, yeah. Which I I think... Have you ever been on holiday for Christmas before? Never for Christmas. No. Straight after Christmas, I've gone away. I've been away on, on Boxing Day before and last year was the first time I spent, I spent Christmas with my girlfriend's family in Denmark. And that was the first time I'd spent it away from my family at least. Um... I suppose my Christmas at home would be my mum and my brother, so a lot smaller than yours is probably a bit easier to, you know, let yeah. it go. Yeah, we get a lot of, like, the family pressure to be together mm. on Christmas is huge, and i got a big extended family, so everyone kind of is expected. Like, you know, Matt would never spend it in America, I think. He'd always, like, be pulled home. But um, I think something like America I could, like, live long-term because I feel like I could live between here and America quite easily but like something that was a a completely alien culture like an Asian country I always feel like I'm absolutely fascinated I love them like one of my favorite places in the world was Japan I like would go there anytime but it's always like if I envision a life there I always think I might just quickly feel very disconnected from a lot of the things it's like as you get a bit older you start to value all the community you have built a Mm -hmm. little bit more and you start to you know, you start to value your close relationships and realise how much they give you. Basically, I feel like a lot of your happiness comes from about 10 close ties. You have 10 to 15 close ties you really have. Yeah. And it's like you do, I don't know, maybe I'm being overdramatic, but you do feel like I want to nurture them and make sure they're good because they're the thing that really brings me the most happiness. I think what we've both realised, so we both turned 30 this year and it's a combination of probably having the luxury of a bit of freedom with our careers that let us move around but also I've realized that that won't last forever Mm. you know just because I don't know family circumstances or any any certain thing could draw a line under that so knowing okay this flexibility might only exist for the next two years or until this job no longer works or whatever yeah I do want to make the most of that travel but you've also spent the last 10, 15 years cultivating a great group of friends or making sure your family are okay and also wanting to be part of that network. So it is a trade-off, but I do think your friends and those 10 important people should always be there for you, right? Whereas yeah, the yeah. chance to go and live in Copenhagen or travel to Japan won't always be no, there. That's... So now it felt like a, you know, I was sad we moved out of our flat together, but it felt like the right time because we'd both be able to do those things. So yeah. I think we're both quite motivated to make the most of the next couple of years in our flexibility. Yeah, it's like you have like you have this sweet spot and you feel like, well, I'm not tired. I don't own a property. Um, yeah, it feels like a good time to do it. So I feel like this, this ticking clock a little bit where there's a kind of more urgency than there ever was to like, okay, do this now because you might not even have the the luxury then of being able to say that's something I want to do you know you might have other reasons and other problems that stop it so I do this I feel like a lot of what I get driven by in life actually often ends up to be like oh you have this moment I felt that with my PhD I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that or not it was a huge commitment and a big undertaking but I had this sense of like you know I, I got very fortunate and I got 
funding for it. And I remember as soon as that offer came through, because I didn't expect to get it at all, um, I, I think that was my only real prospect of doing it. Um, you know, financially at the time, it was just not great. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this if I don't get that. And and then that happened and I just had this summit clicked in me of being like, you are definitely not going to do this if you don't do it now. Mm. Like, and you only have this window right now and you're because you're not going to want to do a PhD when you're 30 and you're not going to want to do it when you're 35 because I just knew myself and you would move beyond that and not want to go back in that way. But so, so sometimes I get driven a lot in life by that thing of just like, this is the time now. So just take it right now because so you don't regret it later. Yeah. Um, well, you're only going to gain from doing that kind of thing, aren't you? Your net, at the very least, your network will change, or the people you've met will change. Even if you didn't follow through on the qualification, having an experience happen at that stage in your life, yeah, can only be beneficial. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and you're going to go to Denmark for a year. Yeah, that's right. The scene, Steve, of our, in many ways, our greatest joint achievement. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this because we um, did last year we decided to do a marathon, didn't we? Oh, yeah. Um, and like a sort of couple, George came <laughs> into my room one day and was like, we should do, I think we should do a marathon together. You know, that sort of thing that someone's girlfriend might say to me, think, oh, God. Oh, God <laughs> oh, I don't know, how am I going to talk my way out of this? Yeah. Um, and someone sort of suggested it. It's like... Very you know, it's like, character for me. It's like if someone's like, well. we should go on a hike next week and you sort of don't want to go on a hike. And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah... But you know, if you say you know, you're going to get into an argument. So oh, I, sort of... I do apologise. <laughs> no, but then I think we went through this weird yin and yang of one of us was more into it than the other. I think it was, I think we came up with the idea, it wasn't last year, it was the year before at the end. And it was, yeah. this could be something we could get done before we're 30. Yeah, but it didn't get real until you said, I've looked up a Copenhagen marathon and it's there and it's in May. We should book now. Book and then it. that was all very real then. And, uh... Yeah, and then we we sort of had to just neither do... of us are runners. Neither of us are runners. I say we're both we're both stocky built men. <laughs> uh, quite a lot of bone density. Bone density, very thick, very chafing thick, thighs. Sort of thick, yeah. Um, large. I sort of you know got a large upper body. Sort of. It's just not significant not the frame. appetites as well. Significant appetites. It's not the frame you'd think he should be running marathons. It's like he should be maybe play rugby if I was skillful enough for that, which I'm not. Um, the best thing I ever was, you know, at sport wise was probably rowing because I just saw it at Oxford one day and I thought those guys just pulling an oar, <laughs> you know, just being sort of big, just being a big engine room. I was like, I think I can do that. And that was like the first time I just had this instinct of like, I think I'd be very good at that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so running, running doesn't come. I like it actually in a weird way. I do like because I like just running, listening to podcasts. I think I when we signed up, something on. I'd probably, I don't think I'd ever run further than five kilometers, so three miles. It's probably the yeah. most most I'd ever done. And I think we signed up at the end of October. The marathon was in May. We both finished it and sort of achieved yeah, what we wanted it, to achieve. It was quite like, I I don't know. It do, I don't know if it's cliche to say, but like to kind of prove to yourself what you can do. Mm. Those things are. You know, it, at the time, there are bits where you th- just think, "Why have I put this pressure on myself?" It's a yeah. completely self-imposed. We both for no reason. I think both of our reasoning was: well, first of all, if you want to run the London Marathon, it's a ballot, and it might take three or four years to get in. This was an easy sign-up. But we also thought, if we do it out in Copenhagen, no one's going to see us suffer. No one will see us fail. 
will exist in isolation. Yeah, yeah, we did. Did that, told a couple of people. They went, oh, what a great weekend away that'll be. Lots of people booked flights to come and watch. Yeah, it was mad. Ramped the pressure right up. Because Copenhagen from London is about an hour or something on a flight, right? Like an hour and a half. An hour and 45 minutes. Right, it's pretty fast and it's pretty cheap. And you can just, you know, hop on and be there. And so, yeah, a bunch more people than we ever thought were all up for it. And games come. My family were game for coming. I didn't think they would come to Copenhagen to watch me yeah. do a marathon. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it actually turned out to be a bit of pressure. And um, it was quite a warm day, wasn't it? It's very and, uh, it was It was difficult. There is no denying that. But yeah. I do, from completing it, I feel like it's given me a kind of... Is that cliche of, oh, I think, I think back to how I got through the marathon. I think, well, if I could have limped my way through that then I can apply that. If I'm playing a, another sport, yeah. I know I can push through. Yeah, um, so I, I think all those things in life for me, like anything that stretched me in a slightly uncomfortable way always becomes a source of confidence. Like, you know, doing a PhD nearly killed me. Doing my master's nearly killed me at times. And once they're, once they're through, you do have this kind of, this permanent confidence from that in that you just go, well... That's a huge thing I managed to get through. Like when me and my brother wrote a book years ago, um, and uh, you know we co-wrote a book about dating. And I was like pretty young then. I was inexperienced, and I was trying to do other things at the same time. And it was so busy, and just being able to get through that process and it actually be finished was uh, just just something that has always given me extra strength to be like. You did. You've done worse things than this. Like you've done mm. harder things than this. Um, yeah. And a marathon's one of those where, because something at the beginning, the marathon, right? You try and run ten miles, and it's just pain. You do your first fifteen. I remember. I remember one we time, did a run where we set out. I think to do ten, and I gave up after seven and a half or eight. Yeah, and yeah. Limped my way home. I had one where I really, I I went out way way far, and then sort of blew up and didn't, <laughs> and then had to like walk a lot of the way back get a bus and things it was just pain and that was one time I came to home to you and I was proper depressed I just was like because I knew the marathon was actually not that far away at that point it was like a few months and I thought like I really wish I hadn't signed up for this now and I think it's going to be an embarrassment yeah I think if people hadn't bought bought their flights and added that pressure we could easily have done yeah um and that, yeah, that was one. I think I got about. I think I had ambitions to run like seventeen miles or something, and did like thirteen, collapsed, and then <laughs> I was in real trouble. I was just because I felt like I'd been training and not actually getting much better. So mm. yeah, but we did it, didn't we? We did do it. Um, and I would say to all of all of you listening, thinking about doing them, who are built similarly to us, do not do it in a Scandinavian country because I would say everyone who ran it looked like a greek god or sort of sexy <laughs> viking and it was very demeaning i felt like a little squat english <laughs> goblin limp like a troll hauling my way around all these kind of tall elves yeah. stride past not sweating looking picture perfect you know if you did it in england you'd get a few sort of lads sort yeah. of lads just having a go with beer bellies well, that, sort that's of dressed me, up that's as... me <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dressed up as like the Adams family or something yeah. stupid, just yeah. sort of waddling through. That's I. I have spent a lot of time in Copenhagen now, and I, that's generally how I feel. The people there are just incredibly attractive, and I'm about a foot shorter than everyone else. Yeah, well, they're very tall and they're in good shape, aren't they? Yeah. And I think that sort of the height mixed with that 
they sort of all have pretty decent like pretty decent faces and bone structure <laughs> they're all just yeah. very attractive people um, yeah. yeah you don't get sort of quite the grab bag of sort of hogs <laughs> I didn't say hogs <laughs> they're the more colourful characters <laughs> you might get in other countries yeah. um, well anyway I'm, I'm mentally preparing myself for six, six to eight months of being the squattest man in the room <laughs> Um, yeah do you get on well in Scandinavia do you, does it agree with you yeah I think it would agree with anyone really I mean Copenhagen's a fantastic city to live in quality yeah. of life's really really high um, very gle- very green very clean um, great food great yeah standard of living's really high me and uh, as you know me and our former housemate Ed used to have sort of long running debates about what the best city to live in was because he would he was just tr- basically trying to pick from scratch, like, where should I live and base my He's a real life. nomad. He's a real nomad in that he's quite indifferent to... If he thinks space is better, he'll just up and go. And he was... We, we sort of had a huge chart of every city, and there was things of, like, every criteria. There was the dating scene there. Um, the, you know, how healthy is it? Um, how quality of life we'd have... Um, do you have to drive a lot or are there good transport we'd have um, can you get a job there just all these things uh, or how much culture's there and uh, where's he ended up living he's living end up living in Copenhagen um, so he he said it really agreed with him I, d- I think on our list at the time we had the disadvantage of Copenhagen was size and it's not big like London New York you've yeah. got London New York you know you've got absolutely everything you could want to do where it's like you're going to be able to explore a lot and sort of not london i think is almost the apex of that where it feels like you don't run out of things to do because london's very vast right as a city um london has the disadvantage that i mean it's highly expensive um it's what would you say london's noisy and dirty noisy and dirty um, Lots of things don't run particularly well. Like tubes will often not be running. Buses and traffic. Yeah, really it's not. Bad. It's not bad. The infrastructure. It's not amazing compared. I think to you get places, spoiled if you do go to Switzerland or Scandinavia. Yeah. I'd say London. You get absolutely spoiled for culture. You get spoiled for anything like culture, theatre, comedy, that sort of stuff. Restaurants. Like there's just endless amounts going on. Uh, kind of the same with New York. New York has. I don't know. I went to New York this year and I used to put them exactly on a par, London, New York. I think London has a slight edge. I, there's loads of amazing things to say about New York. Um, New York may have even slightly, probably slightly better food, like the average level of food than London might be better. But um, I don't know. New York doesn't always feel as... What is it? I tried to think what it is. It might just be... I think I looked at it and there just wasn't quite as many things as I thought. Like, you, I think you could spend more time in London and have more to explore and mm-hmm. see. Like, may, maybe because London's hundreds History of years older, there, yeah. there's many, many more historical sites or that. New York, you kind of got these big landmarks and you're kind of done. And you kind of then... You know, it's lots of everything you would do in that city. But you could do New York much quicker... Whereas I think London, you could have like a week there and really yeah, London's more of a sprawling a place. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. With, I guess more historically distinct boroughs. Yeah, yeah, and, and because there's so many, so much history, you kind of got like every part has some interesting like yeah. nooks and crannies to see. But you know they're both very good. Um, Tokyo, I went there last year. 
Um, Tokyo is one of the coolest places I've ever been. It's uh, massive, absolutely massive. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like a completely different world. I guess the disadvantage you might say, depending on your point of view, there's, you know, it's, it's co like completely monoculture. Like everything is just 100% Japanese all the time. There's not a lot of variety, but everything there is like the food is some of the best in the world. It's supposed to have more Michelin star restaurants than anywhere in the world, any city in the world, apparently. Wow. Um, like food is amazing. Entertainment and just fun you can have there is incredible. Nightlife is really top notch. Um, so yeah, Tokyo is incredible. Not much space. Uh, <laughs> apartments, very Big small, like, yeah. as you can imagine. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Tokyo is fantastic. Tokyo is expensive though. Um, well, there was one thing I wanted to flag up, completely unrelated, that I thought would be quite nice to do. But um, just before we sat down to record this, the door doorbell went, and Steve was given a package to open, and he went to open it, and I said, "No, open this on air." Um, so you. <laughs> so we're going to just pop that open. It's a real bit of excitement here. I mean, yeah. opening, he was worried it might be embarrassing. Opening your Amazon Mail on podcast he's doing it quite dangerously with a knife is oh it? I thought it might be this what is it it is the essays of Warren Buffett um, as you know George I, over the last year or two I got very interested in investing which is not something I ever thought I would say because I'm usually a bit more of a sort of literary bookish intellectual type but I actually really you know if you're strings sort of, to Steve's bow yeah, I think it's the philosopher thing of like, if you kind of got that analytical mindset, it's just really enjoyable to, yeah, to learn about investing. It's something you can do very long term, kind of just like mm -hmm. being very patient. Um, yeah, I enjoy Chipping reading away. a lot. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm learning. I wouldn't say... I can give anyone great advice right now. Not yet, but maybe make <laughs> podcast 10. I'll, I'll tell you how my returns are in five years. But um, yeah, I've got a little little essays of Warren Buffett. He's a very, very smart man. He certainly is. Shall I give you one of his quotes? All right. In, in case. <laughs> so he says, it's better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. That's nice. So That is nice. So basically, look for good companies that are a bit underpriced. But don't go, oh, that one's an absolute bargain, but it's just an okay company. Because mm. they won't won't do that well. So there you go. Something to think about for the rest Buy of low, that. sell high. That's the <laughs> other one. Um, Wonderful. Well, that, that chat certainly was meandering. Yeah, we promised meandering. And that's what you and got. And we delivered. You, you get what you should pay us for. Are um, they paying for this? No, God, no. Yeah. Um, do you want to cut this one here? Do you want to? Probably for the best. Call it? it okay. We'll call this at thirty-ish minutes. But we we will get back to you with some more defined structure. I think that's important. Yeah, we're figuring that out. Uh, we do have it figured out. We just haven't implemented it for this one. But we've uh, we've got an idea, and we're going to go for that. We certainly will. We'll probably find some little jingles for next one, yeah. something to kind of spice it up. A bit flat at the moment. Maybe a little chapter break, a little sort of ditty between, you know, if we cut a chapter. You're promising you know. them the, the earth, too. <laughs> yeah, it should under-promise and over-deliver. Yeah. <laughs> Buffett would be rolling course, in his grave. Of course, Buffett. Not dead, but... <laughs> um, 
All right. Well, thanks for listening again. If you're joining us, um, leave a comment. Tell us what you like. Tell us what topics you want us to talk about. Um, you know, George is a great polymath. He can discourse on anything. Um, and uh, I've read a few books, so you can just quote them. Yeah, read uh, them out. Yeah, sure. Pad out the time. Maybe one of them I'll just read from a book. That'd be a good one. I think that is copyright. Yeah, at some point, at some point you are just doing an audio book. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, take care, everyone. Have a lovely day. Enjoy the rest of November. And we'll be back soon. Thank you.